Hello there, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be talking today about the worldview of the resurrection. Now we're going to be discussing more of the resurrection of Lazarus. I'm here in the studio with Brother John Mills and I'll let him say hello. Hello. And John brought a wonderful Sunday School lesson yesterday that was looking at the resurrection of Lazarus. And we're going to be continuing that conversation, but we're going to expand it a little bit to talk about what the resurrection means kind of in the broader scope of the Christian worldview. And also kind of the history of where the concept of the resurrection comes from, because in the time of Jesus, there was a large portion of people who did believe in a bodily resurrection, but that's kind of a fascinating piece of history because it has different implications for different people, like the Pharisees versus the Sadducees, and we're going to talk about all that. But before we get there, I'm going to let Brother John, if he would, um, would he open in prayer for us? Could you do that for us? Okay. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have to to come together and to discuss your word and to learn, Lord, uh, from your word. We ask that your spirit would be here, that you would anoint and teach and use this, Lord, uh, to bring glory to yourself and to, to let us know what we uh, should be learning from this. In your name, amen. Amen. And we're going to open up by reading from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11, verse 4. And this is when Jesus has heard that Lazarus is sick, he has died, and Jesus is, is getting word of this, and he says, John eleven four reads, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So that's really the, the one scripture I want us to talk about today. Because I think within that scripture, Jesus is doing something quite phenomenal. I think not only is he making a statement about whether or not Lazarus is sick, because it appears that the disciples kind of have this reaction that this is more serious than Jesus is taking it. I really think Jesus is making a broader worldview statement that death itself no longer leads to death. And I think we can extrapolate that a little bit to say the things in life that give us anxiety, they should not lead to anxiety. Our, our whole worldview of how we structure our lives should be different. Um, John, what are your thoughts on that? You really, you kind of think Jesus is making that worldview shift of saying how we view mortality, how we view our existence is, is changing. Or do you think I'm reading too much into that? Uh, well, no, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, uh, there obviously is a whole lot to, to that idea of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but it clearly, you know, Jesus wanted them to know the authority that he had uh, to handle things, you know, in their life and to handle life itself. Jesus made it very clear he laid down his life, you know, and so they didn't need to worry about what was going to happen in their life if they were following him. And so I, I think that idea clearly is there. Yeah, and that really shapes how we deal with the world, how we have anxiety about things. There's a level of assurance that says if our Lord, if Jesus, the King of Kings, really has power, and you mentioned this yesterday in your Sunday school lesson, if he has authority over life and death, then that really reshapes how we view everything, or at least it should. Um. Well, let's, let's go a little bit further into this. I want us to talk about some of the things that were going on there in the scene with Lazarus. There were, in the ancient world, and especially in Jewish culture, there were people who had built their whole lives around the industry of mortality. 
There are people who were professional whalers, so they would come out and they would whale and do things of that nature. You mentioned yesterday how all of society would kind of stop if you found out there was some sort of procession or somebody had died. Even people who were working that may be unrelated to the scenario, they would stop their working as well to do things that would honor the dead and they would mourn and join in with that. And there was sort of a whole cultural implication that went around a person's death. And really from that, we find that society itself had built a whole structure around the status quo of mortality. And Jesus, when he comes to deal with Lazarus, he does take a few days to get there, and you went really deeply into that. But as Jesus was taking that time to get there, the whole world was at work setting an agenda for mortality. The, the whole world was, was working around the status quo of how life and death works. And Jesus himself was not subject to that agenda. He was not subject to the status quo of the world. And even though society was trying to structure itself around this status quo of mortality, Jesus was not here just to be content with that. He came to redefine death, but also to redefine how society should deal with death. So, John, I was just curious your thoughts about that, how the whole world is kind of structured around this status quo of death's mortality, but the resurrection changes that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the resurrection. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, it is kind of hard for us to understand how uh, seriously they took this whole idea of mourning. You know, the idea that the law really required you to join in with your neighbors in mourning. It was your duty as part of the community to join with them at this time. And, you know, we've gotten in our society today, uh, you know, that we, we take mourning so lightly, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't in their day. This, this was a huge event. Like you say, there were people who made their living from it. You know, there were professionals who were part of, of this business. Uh, and to me, the whole mindset, these were people who had seen Jesus do amazing things. And they clearly believed that Jesus could heal. You know, all of them said, if you had been here, Jesus or Lazarus would be alive. So they saw that Jesus could have stepped in and healed Lazarus if he were there. But it doesn't seem like any of them really could make that extra leap to say, but you could still do something. You know, Mar Martha kind of gets to that, but she doesn't really understand what she's saying. But, you know, they, they never could change their worldview to make this leap that Jesus was trying to get them to make, that he was there to completely change their idea of death. Yeah. To them, death was so final, even Jesus really couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, and you brought up something which is kind of interesting. And just to dissect a few points of that, you talk about how cavalier we can be about death in the modern day and age. And really, even within my own lifetime, I've seen a shift where, you know, it used to be pretty common if there was a funeral possession going on, pretty much everybody would stop. And then it's kind of got to where some people just kind of slow down. They may not stop entirely. And I see it more and more common where there you'll see people who just disregard that altogether. Um, and they just kind of go along the way. We don't have the same reverence that we did before. But when you were talking there about the law and how the law had structured itself around mortality, and Jesus, he had worked miracles for people and even people that believed in the law. And they saw that Jesus was kind of fulfilling the law. They took this interesting stand where they started to draw very strange lines, in my view. And by this, I mean they would say, okay, Jesus, you can work miracles over here, but we don't think you can work a miracle over here. 
And that always seems so strange to me. And people still do this with the church. And I don't know if you've seen people do this with scripture. They'll say, okay, well, we'll believe that Jesus came to us in human form. He walked and lived, he died, and he was resurrected, but we don't want to believe that there were really demons that he cast out. Or we believe that he did die and was resurrected, but we don't believe he may have turned the water into wine. Like they'll say, we'll believe the miracle of the resurrection and the authority of the resurrection, but we kind of draw this strange line where we don't think the other miracles were really real, or he doesn't talk to to the disciples in the way that he might have, that God doesn't really come and speak to us. The Holy Spirit may not sanctify us and perfect us. And you even see this applied to the Old Testament. They'll say, well, yeah, Jesus came and died, but we don't really think those Old Testament stories have much credibility. Um, I always find it strange where people draw that line. You see them doing it in Jesus's life where they'll say, we believe you did this miracle over here, but we don't believe it can be over here. And that always seems so strange to me. What What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you've ever seen that sort of strange line drawn with people, but it always kind of confuses me a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, uh, we we have these ideas about what we're willing to accept and what we won't accept. And really, you know, I think a lot of times it's just because we don't, we don't think about why we believe the things we do and mm. whether it makes sense to believe the things we do or not. But like you were saying, you know, the idea of who Jesus was, uh, to me, uh, I, I kind of follow C.S. Lewis on this, with the idea that you either believe that Jesus was the Son of God and did all of these things, uh, or you believe that he was a deliberate, you know, charlatan or crazy person or whatever. You know, how could you believe that, well, he was a good guy, he just wasn't God. If he was claiming to be God and doing all of this, he either was God or he wasn't a good guy, but you can't have both. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Apostle Paul kind of takes this mentality that says, you know, it's either all true or we're all complete fools. <laughs> we are the worst of fools. And the resurrection, the worldview of the resurrection takes us to this pinnacle point where if the resurrection is true, you know, it really takes precedent as the chief among miracles. Suddenly turning water into wine isn't that big of a deal if Jesus actually can redefine life and death this way. So it, it always just strikes me odd about that. But let's talk a little bit more about who Jesus is and Jesus as relating to the resurrection and Jesus being the resurrection. So it is fascinating that in the time of Jesus, it was actually quite common for there to be people who did believe in a bodily resurrection. But you don't find this so clearly outlined in the Old Testament, especially the further you get back. And if you make a distinction between the first temple, or I might say pre-second temple era, just everything leading up to the Babylonian exile, in that older time frame, you don't see a lot of talking about the whole notion of life beyond this life at all, the idea of a soul or anything like that. But in the second temple period, so after the Babylonian exile, things get a little bit more interesting as the focus of the Jewish people starts to shift. And perhaps this is because their time away in exile made them kind of look at themselves. But once you see the people be taken away by Nebuchadnezzar, you start to see a lot more interest in things like angelic beings, the afterlife. And, you know, I think of something like the book of Zechariah, which is basically this long conversation with an angel. And there's other heavenly beings and things that come in the mix too. Some of them that get described as, say, like a a lady in a robe with wings and things like that, that we would think of being an angel. But then the angel isn't described like that at all. So 
there's a lot more interest in this after they're taken into exile. And it's not that those things weren't there before. Again, even with something like Samson, you see an angel there. But after the people of God went away, they spent some time thinking about who they were. And this developed idea of the resurrection came to, to be with the people of God. But it wasn't with everyone. And you mentioned this in your, your lesson yesterday. The Sadducees, who a lot of times we lump in with the Pharisees, they basically only agreed on hating Jesus. Aside from mm. that, they were very different. The Sadducees, who were, in effect, the establishment, you might even say they're like a priestly aristocracy. I don't know if that's a, a fair way to characterize them or not. But they thought that the Pentateuch was sufficient to fill God's covenant with, the, with his people and f- sufficient for judgment in this life. And when I say Pentateuch, I basically mean some of the Old Testament scriptures. They thought the law that they had was enough, that you could fulfill the God, the covenant that God made with you in this life, and you can fulfill the judgment that God has to settle with you in this life. And they thought, you know, this law, it's good enough. And it might be why they emphasize the law they, the way they do, as they kind of see it as the final, ultimate judgment. But then there were others who kind of started developing a notion that says, no, if God truly is just, there needs to be something beyond this life because not everybody is held accountable in this life. The The wicked deeds and the righteous deeds aren't fully adjudicated in this life. And so you start to see more of a development of this idea of the resurrection. And this is where you get the Pharisees. The Pharisees do believe in a bodily resurrection. But one of the things that's fascinating about reading through John 11 is there are these different modes of thinking going on within the Jewish people. So when Jesus comes along and says he is the resurrection, when Jesus comes along and starts talking resurrection and showing a resurrection to people, this is a very, very big deal because this is a big cultural split between the Jewish people. Is there a bodily resurrection? Is there not? Now you've got this guy talking resurrection and showing it to you. And so this is a very, very big deal because this brings into affect your worldview on how are we held accountable? Does God want to hold us accountable beyond this? So what are your just thoughts on that, about the development of resurrection? And I'll just let you respond to everything I've, I've said. <laughs> well, you know, what you said, Jesus was not only talking. He was not only saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He was actually doing it. He was, yeah. you know, putting the power behind his words. And so a lot of people could say that. And by Jesus' time, they had false messiahs everywhere, it seemed like. Uh, And all of these false messiahs were promising miracles that they would be doing. Jesus did not just tell them, I'm the resurrection. He showed this to them by bringing Lazarus out. And, you know, they, Scripture tells us that the Pharisees had had decided they needed to kill Lazarus too. Because Mm. when people saw Lazarus, you know, in his daily life, that was inescapable proof. You couldn't get around it that Lazarus had been brought back from the dead. And, you know, I think we can kind of make a, a parallel thing in our lives. Uh, you know, how many people have come to God because they've seen someone make such a change in their own spiritual lives? Yeah. You know, they've seen people so dead to sin, and then somehow they've become such a different person. Yeah. And so, you know, Jesus was showing them through Lazarus, I am the resurrection. And so you couldn't look at Lazarus and dispute that Jesus was the resurrection. And so they decided we've got to kill Lazarus, too. And I don't know that they really have an alternative to that because you're really put in a position where you either have to believe it or you have to go to that extreme that says, well, we've got to 
we got to kill everybody involved in this and make sure there's no evidence yeah. of it. I mean, do you see any other alternative when right, you're confronted yeah. with something like that? Right. You're stuck. You've got to go in one of those directions, you know. Either Jesus did it and he had the power to do it, or somehow Jesus was just, just a fraud and, you know. Yeah, there, there really isn't much gray area in there. And we live in a world where people like to talk about, you know, you must have this or that. But Jesus is showing people something and doing it in real life. And it is amazing how some people do have that aha moment where they recognize who Jesus is and then others who just completely shut down to it. Um, I do imagine, though, that this, this whole scene would be seen very differently between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You get the people run to tattletale to the Pharisees. But they react to this in a way that kind of does surprise me because, as, as is kind of said, there are some who react to it and say, well, there will be some good that comes of this. What do you really think the mentality was going on with the Pharisees when they kind of hear word of this, John? Really, you know, I, I really think that a number of Pharisees had begun to believe that Jesus actually was demon-possessed. Yeah. You know, they made that charge. And, you know, some of them may just have been making the charge, but I think some of them had really come to believe because they could not, you know, we talked about worldview. Their worldview would not let them see how Jesus could be the way he was yeah. and still be, you know, a, a good person or the son of God or whatever. You know, in their mind, Jesus was a sinner. He broke the Sabbath. He did all of these other things. He claimed to be God. Uh, you know, they just could not. And so really, I think some of them by that point had really begun to believe that Jesus that Jesus was was demon possessed. Now, it's harder. It's harder to understand what some of the others were believing, because, you know, the Bible tells us of several who who uh, came with Jesus. You know, you had Joseph who buried Jesus mm -hmm. and he was he was a member of the Sanhedrin. You had Nicodemus yeah. who had come to Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, we don't we don't know why they didn't speak up more or whatever. Maybe yeah. they did speak up and were just overruled, but Yeah. Well, I know Nicodemus does speak up a little bit. Yeah. He gets kind of overruled, but as far as Joseph of Arimathea, we don't get a lot of history on him. And we can hypothesize that surely there were others who were part of the religious leaders that were warming up to this. And even watching Caiaphas react to this is kind of interesting because you can't really figure out what his angle is. But going back to the Sadducees as a whole, which are separate from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, but they do kind of get this added layer of heresy where if Jesus is talking about resurrection, there is a association with that and judgment. And they kind of see Jesus as effectively saying, I am the judgment of, of God coming to be with you too. I don't, or maybe I'm taking too much of a leap there with that, but there's this element where they see this festering understanding that the judgment of God goes beyond just the Torah. And now they've got a man saying, I am, I am the resurrection, seeing him talking with the authority that he does. And it kind of does look to me like they, they see Jesus as a threat, not only to their credentials, but also it's just a outright heresy of him saying he is the judgment of God coming to walk with people. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think I'm a little crazy for saying that? Well, I, I think definitely it would have it would have scared the Sadducees. You know, their whole their whole philosophy or way of action is based on the idea that there is no resurrection. Yeah. You know, this life is it. As you said earlier, the Sadducees were the ones that were concerned with 
this life yeah. with prosperity, with uh, spiritual power. They were the ones who ran the temple. You know, they were the ones who were trying their best to get along with the Roman authorities. Yep. Uh, and so Jesus telling them that there was a resurrection, you know, that that puts their whole whole philosophy in in limbo. You know, are they living their lives for the wrong things? Yeah. And, and not only just him talking about it, but as you said earlier, him doing it, him giving them a visual puts them in a corner where they've really got to start it. They've either got to examine themselves, have some self-awareness and do some self-examination, or they've got to just buckle down and say, well, kill him and kill all the evidence, yeah. which is basically what they do. It's basically what they do. It, there's really no other alternative. You can either deal with the truth when it's been presented to you, or you can just reject it. So in wrapping up our conversation uh, on the worldview, when we ask people today, we should have hope from the resurrection. It really should be something which gives us assurance in all the miracles that God can come and be with us. But as you said yesterday in your, your lesson, we live in a day and age where a lot of people really are spoiled, if not outright entitled, where they think they're owed something. And this is something which is definitely growing with the, the way our culture is going. It's something which is definitely growing with my generation. Um, and what's so unfortunate about this is when you think of entitlement, it really is coupled to the notion of suffering. And how do we deal with suffering in this life? You know, if I'm spoiled, I don't, I have my expectations of what the world owes me with what God owes me. But in the truth, we do are living in an age where people are allowed a luxury to where they can totally reject the premise that they might have to suffer. And that really is incompatible with the biblical worldview. Because the biblical worldview does tell us that God can use things that are suffering, and he can use them for, for good in our walk of holiness. And I'll just let you share some, some final thoughts on, on how we can have some, some assurance in the fact that suffering does not always lead to more suffering, but God does show us an alternative to the world. Our world itself produces a worldview that says there should never be any suffering, nothing can good can come of it, the whole purpose of life is to avoid suffering, but yet we know that Jesus, he comes, as the resurrection, as the judgment. So there'll be a further accountability than just what's here and now. But when we open our eyes to see the glory of God, we can see that he will work in the suffering in our, our current world and do good things that we couldn't expect. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think you're right. We have the mindset that if we are suffering, something has gone wrong. Something, you know, failed us or somebody failed us. You know, and, you know, one of the reasons why we see so many lawsuits and these other things, we 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 don't have the idea that suffering is something that's natural. And, you know, and ironically, you know, our very desire to not suffer a lot of times ends up costing us far more than if we had yeah. suffered to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you think of people who who take, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, whatever to escape suffering. And the reality is they're just adding to their suffering. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. It's not that Scripture tells us that, we sh that we're going to suffer. What is really shocking is that Scripture tells us suffering is good for yep. us. So it's not just the idea it's something we have to put up with. It's the idea that suffering is actually a positive in our lives. And that's not, I'm not saying you should go out and try to suffer as much as you should, <laughs> but the idea that suffering as God plans it and places it in our lives 
is always a positive. Yeah, and we here in our online conversations, one of the early things that we discussed was in life, there's a difference between a primary expression and a medium. So if you think of a piece of art, say something like the Mona Lisa, it's obviously a painting that's on a canvas. But there's a difference between the oils, the paints, and the canvas, and then what is actually shown to you, the art itself, the, the image of a, of a lady sitting there. And suffering itself is not something that God would use as a primary expression. It's not something which is the goal. It is not something that is this piece of creation which is an end in and of itself. And to your point there that you should go out and start doing things that cause suffering on yourself because that's the goal. That's what God wants. But instead, they are a medium where other things can take place. Because what we find going through here is the glory of God being shown to people. There's something deeper at work happening. Um, but just to kind of piggyback off something you said earlier, one of the reasons we do have so many lawsuits is there is this worldview that says the purpose of life is to avoid suffering, and it is possible to eradicate suffering. We have this mentality that says it's not naturally found here where we reside. And it really is just a broken worldview because it is something that we do have after the fall. So any final thoughts before we close in prayer? I think you said it all. All righty. Well, if you wouldn't mind, would you close us out in prayer and we'll wrap up there. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this worldview that you're teaching us and that you're shaping in us and for the, the scripture that you provided us with. We thank you for how you guide us and how you lead us uh, to bring us, Lord, into your eternal life. We ask that you would bless what's done here today in your name. Amen. Amen.